0: just go to
1: Cars.com. It's Magical. FinSider Radio, the Jake and Josh Show, is SB Nation's official podcast about your Miami Dolphins. Check out FinSider.com for more Miami Dolphins content and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with us on Twitter. Jake can be found at JMendel94. Josh can be found at H-O-U-T-Z or just House. The show is made possible by Dolphins everywhere, so be sure to rate and comment, share your thoughts, and let us know how we are doing. Now, let's get on with the show. Week 2 is in the books. Snicker season is dead. And and, and so is my soul. Josh, this is Finsider Radio. How are you doing today, man? It's uh, not an unusual day. I guess that's one way to put it, is this is a familiar spot we have all been in at least a bajillion times before.
2: Yeah, Jake. I mean, every time it seems like the Dolphins are playing a game where we're just sitting there, you know what? This is the game where if they can find a way to win or, you know, stay competitive, we will feel really good about ourselves. They laid an egg. I think Xavier Howard said it best. It feels like a funeral on this Monday morning.
1: Josh, I think this is a team that, I don't know, needs to bury a football or something. I mean, that was just a, it was such a frustrating experience because the game seemed to be over within four minutes, right? The Bills come out, uh, actually the Dolphins come out, believe it or not, and they go three plays, negative seven yards. And it was just all downhill from there as the Bills scored in 12 seconds and then again in 3.30 Uh, Before we knew it, it was 14-0, Josh. Tua Tungvaloa went down with an injury, and it seemed like the whole world was just kind of set ablaze there Uh, really early on in a home opener that I think a lot of people were looking forward to as a potential turning point for this Miami Dolphins team.
2: Yeah, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was a sold-out crowd. I think this was, you know, the most excited. Let's be honest, we were stoked going into this game. We just kept thinking, you know, if they can somehow pull this out they're 2-0, Buffalo would be 0-2. But, Jake, I mean, from the very start, I mean, it looked like the Dolphins were outmatched. It looked like the offense didn't even come out of the locker room. Everyone wants to point the finger, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that this game would have, you know, Truly went any differently. I mean, it truly felt like they were outgunned from the start. But losing Tua to Tagovailoa was definitely the big, you know, heartbreak there. And you just hope that that rib injury isn't as serious as you know at first look, because I mean that was a brutal hit. Jesse Davis got beat bad, and Tua had no chance there. He was he was destroyed.
1: It was ugly. Yeah, Josh. You know, there were. It seemed. Uh, let's just get into it. Let's start with the offensive line talk, a unit the Miami Dolphins have spent so much on. And let me just start by saying. So Josh, with, with the introductory thoughts out of the way, Austin Jackson, eight pressures. Uh, Jesse Davis, you mentioned it, couldn't block a thing. Uh, he went down with an injury, it isn't considered serious. Just in general, Josh, this offensive line couldn't do a thing. I mean, there were plays where it seemed like that. Uh, the quarterback was pointing out, Hey, this guy's blitzing, hey, this corner's blitzing, and the offensive line didn't really seem to uh, want to do too much about that. There were some false starts, there were some holds. I mean, this unit just couldn't not just do anything right. I mean, everything was flat out wrong. The amount of times, I think it was on the first two drives that the Buffalo Bills had four free rushers for sacks. I mean, it is horrible to see. I mean, I just don't, it, it, it's tough because I think everyone is in the same scenario where everyone feels so helpless. I mean, Tua has no time to throw the ball. Uh, we don't have enough time to complain about the previous play because another, something else horrible is happening. So Josh, uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this offensive line. It was It's an awful unit. Uh, There's been a lot of resources that have gone into it. And as a result, I mean, nothing seems to be working out.
2: No, it really doesn't. I think I tweeted, you know, probably after the first two sacks, you know, this is a literal nightmare. I mean, the game could not have gone worse. And, you know, that was honestly just the story of the entire day. Um, Jake, you mentioned some of those rushers coming in unblocked. I know on the first two, a sack, you know, it looked like miles Gaskin probably had responsibility there completely whiffed. And then I think Malcolm Brown also did on a sack earlier. So a lot of the finger pointing is going towards Austin Jackson. He looked atrocious. I mean, no one can deny that. I think at a 35.9, uh, PFF grade allowed eight pressures, but, um, you know, we're not in the huddle. We don't know what their right. tendencies, we don't know what, um, you know, assignment is on that thing. So we don't know who's at fault, but what we saw was Jesse Davis whiffing on plenty of blocks again, got to a destroyed and then Austin Jackson looked lost at times. So I, I just want to run down some of these quick, uh, PFF grades. Robert Hunt finished with a 47.9 allowed three pressures. Michael Dieter at 59.7 allowed one pressure Solomon Kinley 31.8, two pressures. Jesse Davis a thirty five point four, and then Liam Eichenberg at fifty four point seven. So up and down the board. I mean, the play was just very bad. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like you said, I mean, this was a disaster from the start. And yeah. I guess the biggest thing here, Jake, you said we feel helpless, but you know we're heading into week three. I mean, how much more helpless can we feel after all those? draft picks invest in some of these players you know we sat here and said these are young guys you know give them time let's see what they can do we're now seeing what they can do and i don't know about you but austin jackson you know looks dismal no one wants him out there jesse davis i mean you said on one of the first pods that we did this year if he's starting that's a that's you know not a good sign he's the perfect sixth man he's now your blind side and i mean it got to a kill. so it's a helpless feeling not sure where the dolphins go from here maybe they sign mitchell schwartz but um, you know, if the Dolphins want to turn this thing around, it's going to take more than two of being healthy because that offensive line's atrocious.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important too, and, and I want to keep repeating this moving forward, and I want you to stop me if I'm being too much of a homer, but Josh, we are sitting here in week two. Um, I think one of the biggest concerns I have, and uh, I guess it's even worse if this is a concern, is that maybe this team relied on someone like DJ Fluker too much to come in and kind of be that depth that we were hoping for. We thought this offensive line would be fixed by now, uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Josh, before we move on from the offensive line, one last question I have for you here is, is there any chance the home opener against the divisional rival, uh, relatively young team, again, stop me if I'm making excuses here, but I, I felt like some of the things were so unexcusable. You can't help but feel maybe this was a team that, you know, knowing how much Buffalo is in their heads. And again, maybe Buffalo was just in their heads and this was legitimately the worst case scenario. And we can't just sit here and think maybe, uh this is going to be a consistent thing, right? This team just beat New England. I mean, Zach Wilson just threw four interceptions against that New England defense. So, I mean, I this we're near the panic, but don't get me wrong. But I mean, I feel like there was so much at play other than you know, just guys straight up being beat, being less talented. I think the emotions, uh, the mental game is where the Dolphins started to lose, and then you bring in the drops and everything we're going to get to soon. I mean, it just seemed like. This isn't a game we're going to see often. I mean, you think about the Patriots last season, Josh, uh, they lost 26 to 10 to the lions. All right. So, I mean, I'm frustrated. I yelled at my TV yesterday. I tweet. I yelled at people on Twitter. It's been a little ridiculous, but overall, Josh, it's still week two. I think it's important for us to kind of keep that in perspective.
2: And I love that you bring up DJ Fluker because, you know, as much as we joke about the Isaiah Wilson trade, I mean, that was another young player that they it's saw desperate. the potential and going after. I mean, there are different pieces that they acquired throughout this offseason that definitely, you know, would leave you to believe that they felt a little better about this unit than, you know, what we're seeing now. So, Jake, I, I don't know. I think you're right. I think the Buffalo absolutely has a Dolphins number. I think that, you know, you were tiptoeing around a little bit there, but let's be honest. This team was out-coached. Brian Flores has now been out-coached twice, very yeah. badly against that Buffalo Bills team, and you know, it's it's a little concerning when you look around the division. Everyone else has seemed to be, I don't want to say on an upward trajectory, but they some of these teams have proven that they can win these big games, you know, these big divisional matchups, and besides, you know, every now and then you know, splitting a series against the New England Patriots when again, the game's on the line, when you need that victory, again, we're on the panic button. I'm sorry that I'm saying this, but I'm looking back at that week 17 matchup. I mean, you want Brian Flores, you want this team to be better prepared. So uh, I think it's a little bit of the perfect storm. I think the dolphins were out coached. I think, you know, the offensive line being bad, definitely played a part to a going down. But I think the Bills came into this with their plan to attack the quarterback in different ways and they went out there and did it. And I, I don't know that a healthy Tua, again, would have changed the outcome that much, but it would, have, it would have been a lot nicer to see than, you know, a Jacoby Brissett led Miami Dolphins unit, which, um, you know, it didn't do much of anything. Before we move on from the offensive line, I want to throw out the quote from Robert Hunt. He said, it was a rough day for us. We're a young line and we're trying to improve, but we can't keep saying that shit. And I think that's the best way to put it. You know, we all sit here and we continue to make excuses, say how young some of these guys are, but at some point, you know, we see the the league You see other players you know some of these young guys that were drafted right next to austin jackson they're ascending why can't he so um dismal performance but i think you're right jake it's not going to look this bad every week
1: Tua, i'm a little surprised about this uh i thought we wouldn't hear any injury news until tuesday when the injury report comes out it's just been kind of brian Flores's mo uh but there it came out that tua he underwent further tests on his bru- bruised ribs And uh, apparently there were no major issues. X-rays were negative. Uh, So it's about pain. It's about tolerance for the Dolphins and Tua moving forward uh, with the Raiders game approaching on Sunday. Josh, we're going to have two more podcasts before that game. And I don't want to spend too much time about this, but long story short, would you like to see Tua play on Sunday if he is capable and it is something where it's kind of just, you know, pain or, or I guess, would you say if Tua is going to be in a little pain, would you play him or sit him if he's willing to play?
2: I think we'll talk about this much more, you know, like you said, as the next podcast, especially when we preview the Raiders. But Jake, you know, I don't know about you, but I think their pass rush is, you know, among the best in the NFL. So to think that two is going to go out there, you know, with this offensive line already that pre-existing injury and be able to play, you know, you know, seventy-five percent. I mean, I don't know that a Brian Flores team is going to to do that. They might feel better, you know, preparing Jacoby Brissett and to go out there and attack things. So I'd love to see two out there. I'd love to, you know, see him grunt through it and, and be that you know, star quarterback that we fantasize about. I mean, in our dreams, you know, these quarterbacks play through these crazy injuries, especially in week three. I mean, he takes another hit. He's out for the year. So black jackets don't fix bruised ribs, despite what Twitter thinks.
1: Yeah, I mean, Josh, I guess you, like what you said there, I'm kind of on the complete opposite hill. If we're at a point where if our quarterback is injured and we want them to sit out, if they're willing to play, uh, they're not your franchise quarterback. I think that you want to see Tua face this adversity face this issue again if he can't play this conversation is happening all right so we're not going to spend too much time on it but I just think it's a little concerning if we are saying that we should protect a quarterback especially when you're in a division like the AFC East where there's a lot of different teams that can rush the passer and trying to you know protect against one defensive line is only so good when there's another one right around the corner
2: Right. Maybe I'm looking too much into the way the Dolphins approached things last year, but wasn't it his hand or something that was banged up or there was some minor injury there that, you know, I think they chose to let him sit, let him recover and then come back into things a week later. So it's more about, I guess, the Brian Flores mentality. But you're right, Jake. I mean, that opens up an entire new can of worms. And, you know, despite what he played, six, seven snaps. I mean, Twitter's already blaming Tua. This somehow came back to being Tua's fault. He couldn't, you know, uh, magically stop that blitzing safety or the defender off the edge. Somehow uh... it's always Tua's fault.
1: Let's uh, talk about the offense in general here, because despite it being 35, nothing, it certainly felt like the Miami Dolphins worked really hard for those zero points. Uh, They had more first downs than the Bills, nine to eight, more total plays, 70 to 64. The total time of possession, the Bills actually trailed the Dolphins by roughly three minutes. And then you look at the team had nine penalties and turned the ball over three times. Josh, Jakeem Grant had a fumble. Jalen Waddell had two drops. Brandon Jones fumbled on a play where he picked up the ball. I mean, it was there was seriously nothing that could go right for this team. Uh, I think I want to start with Jalen Waddell here, Josh. Uh, jump in whenever you want, but otherwise I kind of have to say that. Uh, that that fumble by Jalen Waddle was absolutely brutal. Uh, he also had two drops on the day, and then you kind of look at what the Miami Dolphins are doing with Jalen Waddle. Outside of that, he had six receptions um, on six pass attempts. Outside of those two drops, and I'm not trying to say that to you know give him credit, but the Dolphins are going to use this guy uh, in the running game. This is running through the air, like we said. So when Waddle has those drops, it's no longer just a drop. You know that is a given two, three, four yards, you scheme those plays, uh, you're open and you kind of have to make those plays. And that was pretty concerning to see from Waddle when the drops aren't plays where, you know, he's getting hit or uh, there's pressure looming over him.
2: Yeah, and, you know, maybe that's just a confidence thing. Maybe that's something that he needs to shake off, but it's definitely concerning, especially, you know, I think they were trying to change the game there. Was it towards the end of the half? You know, they have him back there. Let your superstar go out there and make, you know, one of those Deshaun Jackson plays that we always talk about. And then he muffs the punt and gives it right back to the Bills. I mean, they could have kicked the field goal there. So, um, you know, it was just a team effort. I mean, I think they all played pretty badly. I did like to see Mike Kosicki get more involved. He caught three of six targets Mm -hmm. for 41 yards. The big, you know, dagger to me. And, you know, I thought Devontae Parker played – pretty well I mean I'd have to go back and really focus on those guys but you know when Brissett came in he was kind of relying heavily on him but that drop man in the end zone yeah. that was a killer and then right right after that Jakeem Grant you know fumbled the ball and gave it back to Buffalo so I mean you, you mentioned I mean that was the perfect way to say it I mean they fought like hell tooth and nail to get literally <laughs> zero, zero points. points I mean how many fourth <laughs> down and twos did they have I mean it was just so Dolphins I mean that one they were at the 20 yard line and I mean it looked so promising and they ran Malcolm Brown he couldn't get two yards and he had, he had one guy to miss i mean i don't know man it just felt like again the perfect storm for this team to go down and they went down man
1: without a fight to be honest 12 plays, they turn it over on downs. Seven plays, they turn it over on downs. Nine plays, they punted. 13 plays, they fumbled. Josh, it was just such a frustrating experience because the Dolphins offense, the way it works, and I'm not ready to start panicking about the offensive uh, coordinator position just yet, uh, but you need players to make the plays. You know, you think about the Bill Belichick, uh, you got to do your job, that type of nonsense. But that's how the Dolphins offense is going to have to operate I think we need to ask ourselves if this team actually has a good core of receivers when you think about how much Albert Wilson is dropping wide open balls. Uh DeVante Parker, you can lean on him, but again, I mean he had 3 catches, Josh. We it's a frustrating experience to see where, you know, it's a 3rd and 3, it seems like every single drive and then it's a drop. And then you want to do a counter with Malcolm Brown after you're dinking and dunking up the field for 40 yards. I don't know, it just kind of seemed that the play calling didn't necessarily help. I understand that they couldn't really take shots down the field due to the pressure, but I mean it It was an offense that was um, going nowhere fast.
0: This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay.
1: Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the
2: big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing?
0: Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the
2: title. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void or prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito yeah, Jake. I mean, that's a great question. Maybe that's why they went into you know training camp and preseason with so many receivers because they were hoping one of these guys you know truly sees that moment. I mean, I'll be the first one to throw egg on my face. You know, I, I believe Preston Williams was good. What do you have? One reception on three catches for two yards. I thought Albert Wilson. You know, this was his year. You know, he was that big playmaker throughout camp. I mean. Is he that dynamic playmaker or was he just, you know, a flash in the pan? It seems like he was a flash in the pan with those two critical drops. So, um, you know, for a unit that we sat here and, you know, thought was one of the stronger points, Jake, I think you're probably closer to right. You know, this this receiving core is probably a bigger issue than we lead on to believe. But when you have an offensive line that can't hold up, maybe we just are expecting too much out of that group. So, um, again, I think I think it's a little bit of everyone at fault here. Jake, the yeah. question I have is, you know, if Godsey's calling plays now, you know, they have co-offense coordinators. At what point do you pull the pen? Pa- you know, pull the play calls from him and let Studsville go out there and hopefully try to write this thing. Because I mean, part of the reason you have those two chefs in the kitchen is so that when one of these guys isn't getting results, I mean, again, I don't know who's at fault here. It could be the offensive line, could be a mixture of things. But at some point, I think we're going to have to sit here and say, is George Godsey the problem? Should we let Studsville do some things because um, this offense has to do better?
1: Josh, you say that, and, and the only thing I can think about is the fact that we—you said uh, you were excited to see Mike Kosicki get more involved, and I was too, but he had three catches for, uh, on six targets and with George Godsey calling the plays he's someone he was a tight ends coach I thought for sure this would be a team that could thrive with the tight ends and we see Seathan Carter out there playing a lot more snaps and I think we'd like to see he had one reception for eight yards uh, but Josh generally speaking I thought the tight ends would be a much bigger part of this offense if you're going to keep 12 of them I mean you've got to do something with them I mean we can't see Gesicki being a guy who just plays like four or five snaps or makes four or five plays and is done this guy needs to be a really big part of this offense especially in the red zone and we didn't see that from Godsey I don't know again if it's more that the pressure isn't allowed in place to develop but the tight ends the tight end usage the play calling doesn't seem to be meshing uh, correctly and that is something that is a little surprising considering uh, Godsey's history.
2: Yeah. And I I think I was the one that said, you know, Shaheen coming back earlier in the week could, you know, change things. He'd be that red zone target. I think all we saw to Shaheen was, you know, a couple missed blocks and things there. So uh, again, egg on my face, Jake, this has been pretty much a doom and gloom podcast. So, you know, maybe we should talk about one of the few positives yesterday. And I know it's crazy to say because, you know, the Bills scored 35 points, but anybody that watched that game saw the dolphins defense fighting tooth and nail to the end of this thing. So um, I guess I just want to get your overall thoughts on the defense. I mean, What did you see that you liked and maybe what you disliked against Buffalo?
1: Yeah, Josh, I mean, those first two drives were brutal. I mean, you do think, are they going to drop 56 again? But uh, you got to tip your cap to the Miami Dolphins defense for how well these guys responded. Uh, Josh Allen, despite scoring 35 points, I mean, I don't think he really had too, too much fun out there outside of those first two drives. Uh, He only completed half of his passes, 17 for 33, so technically not half, but it is what it is. Xavier Howard continues to be a baller, Josh. And and overall, I mean, they gave up 35 points. This is a game that's going to go down in the record books as a 35 to nothing loss. Uh, but I don't, those last points, I mean, the last 21 points the Dolphins gave up, I really can't blame the Dolphins defense. That's, that's tape you just throw away. I mean, it is kind of what it is.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think the run defense, again, besides from that huge, you know, I think Devin Singletary went untouched for almost like a 50-yard early in the game. After that, I mean, they kind of buckled down. I mean, they looked solid. They were getting pressure on Josh Allen. Again, it was kind of what we thought we needed them to do, but, I mean, Josh Allen's just too darn good, and the secondary can't latch down that long. But, Jake, uh, PFF Ryan Smith, uh, again, Guys, take pro football focus, you know, however you want. Some people love their stuff. Some people, you know, are very skeptical. But they had Andrew Van Ginkle as the highest-rated defensive player with a 91.1. Zach Sealer right behind him with an 86.6. Xavier Howard with an 82.3. Javon Holland again had a nice game with a 77.5. And Eric Rowe with a 76. So um, you mentioned Xavier Howard, Jake. I mean, to me, it just – again, this is a guy that we were – back and forth as a fan base you know should they trade him should they do this and that this dude is a playmaker he is all over the field and you know when you mm-hmm. need him to to change the game and keep him alive he did that Andrew Van Ginkle love to see him out there getting more pass rush reps don't actually have the snap count listed here but I mean I thought he was all over the field biggest concern was Jalen Phillips again only getting 18 snaps we'll throw egg on my face but um, I think it's closer to maybe time we put him on a milk carton opposed to anything else but uh, I think no egg monogamy probably lives on that milk carton No.
1: Oh my god, that that's starting to get to be a frustrating situation where you have a first round pick uh, who is inactive the first two games of his second season. Obviously, I mean, you could say that the Dolphins have so much depth at cornerback that maybe we should have drafted more offensive linemen. I don't know. It's frustrating, and two, I don't, I don't know if I'm just someone who doesn't close the book quick enough, but I'm not ready to completely shut the door. I know Igbinogu just quite yet Jalen phillips i thought he looked okay against the run but you're right Uh, after i tweeted that it just didn't seem to be doing too too much uh for the team josh the dolphins did pressure josh allen 12 times despite only sacking him once and to put that into perspective the dolphins gave up 24 pressures so yikes on that one and the last note i have about the defense that i've actually changed my perspective on i i haven't been a big fan of the numbers switches Uh, obviously someone who covers a lot of high school sports i am used to seeing you know wide receivers be eight and all these kind of diverse numbers uh at the on the football field i guess i should say but man javon holland in that number eight jersey he looks awesome uh this looks like a surefire hit for the dolphins because that dude always seems to be around the football and he looks like he's uh fits in on the football field he is a very very big body
2: yeah, and you have him down here for 77% of the snaps. I think last week he only played 32%. So you're seeing an uptick in that. And, I mean, again, every time he's on the field, I was pointing out with a baby bottle, you know, coming off. Uh, you know, he just casually walks up the line, perfectly timed blitz, you know, stopping Zach Moss in the backfield. I mean, he's all over the, the field, and he he's it's just – like
1: Rashad Jones all yeah, over the it, I don't want to because, like, I don't want to compare, especially someone who's a rookie. But, I mean, that's, like, the body to getting the guy blown up to play in the backfield. I mean, that's what the Dolphins need.
2: Yeah, and I think the biggest, you know, the difference there is he can come down and and be that presence against the run. But, I mean, the way he can go from sideline to sideline and switch his hips, I mean, this dude is going to be a stud. And, Jake, I thought you were getting ready for the perfect segue. Again, not the thing that you ride around, the motorized scooter type thing. But, you know, number eight, we were going to do a jersey giveaway. We don't have the specifics, but I don't know about you, man. We were leaning towards Jalen Phillips, but when I saw Javon Holland walk out in that icy number eight, I mean, I think we should do a Javon Holland giveaway. What do you
1: think? I think you're hundred percent right on that. We'll have to figure out how we want to do that. Uh, we'll have to get the, uh, more on, on that later this together. week,
2: more on that later yeah. this week.
1: Yeah. So Josh, I think that pretty much kind of wraps up this Dolphins performance. I, I do have to say, I, I, it's an emotional game. It happens once a week, but I mean, the, the, Doom and gloom for the weeks after the week afterwards, starting at Monday. I mean, it was one game early in the season. It was got awful. Everyone was terrible. Nothing went right. Nobody did anything right. Ah, uh, but the positive to that is, I'd say that's not going to happen again.
2: The odds do say that, but then again, we're Dolphin fans. And for the last twenty <laughs> so years, odds, odds, they odds have, will have said you know we're gonna we're gonna win a playoff game, right? The odds should say that at some point. Yeah. Um. It it's good, just good point. Ju- Jake, you're 100% right. But guys, later this week, we will be back on Wednesday with another episode of SB Nation Spinsider Radio. Jake and I are going to tweet out a mailbag. We are going to ask for your questions. We'll read off your Twitter handle on air and hopefully comment on what you would like to see. But guys, if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe to the podcast. If you like what I'm saying, follow me on Twitter at Houtz, H-O-U-T-Z. Please, please, please follow my co-host, The Verified Journalist. He's a legit journalist, so please follow him at Jake Mendel, J-M-E-N-D-E-L-94 for the Finsider Radio Podcast, part of SB Nation. I'm Josh Houts. That's Jake Mendel. We'll talk to you next time. Fins up. Fins up.
0: That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the the ground, we're always in control, and when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Cause we're the Miami dog